This episode is sponsored by Marvel Strike Force. If you're looking for a superhero-themed mobile game, look no further. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Your goal is to power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes like Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. The game is currently celebrating its 6 year anniversary, and they're letting new users in on the celebration by providing free stuff, courtesy of our unique link in the show notes. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses, and if you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all of the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. We've received a unique promo code, so new users can follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. That's M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Thanks to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc hello everyone and welcome to the show today is monday november 6th 2023 on today's episode of the show we are going to be talking about the latest film and tv news my name is ben pearson i'm an editor at slashfilm.com and i'm joined on today's episode by slashfilm staff writer and box office analyst ryan scott Hey, everyone. How's it going? Ryan, we are so back. Thanks to the support of you all, the listeners out there. The Slash Film Show is, as of today, once again, Slash Film Daily. Uh, Starting today, we are immediately jumping back into doing the podcast five days a week. I'm very excited about this. We're going to try to stick to a loose pattern of talking about box office on Mondays, which is what we're here to do today. Uh, News on Tuesdays, maybe a water cooler on Wednesdays a group conversation slash debate slash list on Thursdays, which is going to be, in my view, kind of like a mini version of those big, uh, you know, um, end of the year conversations that we often have. And then Fridays will be sort of like a floating day where we might feature an interview or talk about other big news that may have dropped throughout that week. Um, I also want to get back into doing big spoiler conversations about major movie releases. So we'll try to introduce those back into the mix as well. And we might shift the schedule around to accommodate those as needed. So uh, there's a chance that we might miss an episode here or there because of holidays, especially with the holidays coming up. And then um, sickness or life stuff might happen. But we are the the takeaway here is that we're ramping the show back up in a major way. And the reason that we're able to do that is because of our ad partners and because of the listeners that we have. So if you hear about a product or service that you're interested in in one of our ads, it's very important to use the specialized web addresses that we provide because it's basically your way of telling our partners, Slash Film Daily sent me, and it keeps them interested in working with us. 
which will keep us able to continue making the show. So um, anyway, yeah, big announcement here. I just wanted to thank you all very much for listening. And I look forward to getting back in the groove with everybody. So uh, Ryan, you're going to be my my Monday guy uh, for box office stuff. And um, and I'm sure I'll have you on, you know, at, at various other points throughout the week. Uh, you know, especially if we get into like some of those big conversation debate list uh, types of conversations, which are always fun. So um, let's thrilled get... to be a part of it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So let's get into it, man. Let's talk about the box office. So Five Nights at Freddy's was uh, well, why don't you tell me what happened with Five Nights at Freddy's? Ben, I'd love to tell you what happened. Five Nights at Freddy's. So look, here's the thing. Uh, we talked about this a lot last week. Five Nights at Freddy's is available on Peacock and is also in theaters. I expected that was going to show itself in the second weekend, and that's exactly what happened. Five Nights at Freddy's maintained its spot atop the box office. That's good. Uh, But it made $19.4 million, which was a 76% drop compared to its $80 million debut. Now... A, a drop of 76% or 75, like anything over like 65% is very rare. Like in the seventies, you're talking not many movies ever have dropped that much, you know, in their second weekends. It just doesn't happen that often. Um, and in recent years, most of the times we've seen it, it's been when there is a, uh, a day and date streaming release. Uh, mm-hmm. Think black widow, think Halloween kills, think Halloween ends. Like these are uh, some of the movies that, um, uh, were part of Project Popcorn that went on HBO Max before, uh, you know, the, the, this is when it happens. Um, so here we go. Um, now, before I move on to the other part of this, nobody is crying for Universal or Blumhouse right now. Uh, Five Nights at Freddy's against a 20-ish million dollar budget has made $113.6 million domestically and $103.5 million internationally. You're looking at $217.1 million worldwide or more than 10 times the budget. Again, nobody is crying. <laughs> but- yeah, and I think uh, Hannah Shaw-Williams, one of the editors at Slashville, mentioned in our Slack channel that like, even this, uh, the second weekend numbers that Five Nights at Freddy's pulled in, even with that precipitous seventy-something percent drop, you know, whatever it was, nineteen million, I think you said for for uh, the second weekend is like actually pretty good. You know, like most horror movies would appreciate that, would be fine with that as their you know as their opening weekend almost. Oh, oh my god! And even this movie, like because again, like Blumhouse tends to mitigate risk, like. With a $20 million budget, if you match your production budget on opening weekend, as a general rule of thumb, that's you're going to be in pretty good shape. So if this movie had made, give or take, $20 million on opening weekend, everyone would be like, yeah, that's fine. You know, like, cool. Let's, you know, that would have been good. Um, so let's be clear. This movie's doing phenomenally well, but that's also part of my point here is that so Peacock is only available in the United States. It is not available internationally. Now, if we look to the international numbers, uh, uh, Five Nights at Freddy's opened to $52.6 million overseas and made $35.6 million in its second weekend. That marked a 54% drop. That's more or less closer to in line with what we would expect, generally speaking, in terms of a drop from this sort of movie. Mm-hmm. I argued from the beginning. Now, I understand that like there are a lot of people that couldn't necessarily make it out to the theater right away. This was aimed at younger viewers. I've written another piece about that, which I think is interesting, but like it would have undoubtedly benefited NBC universal and Comcast to have this be in theaters exclusively, even if it was just for a couple of weeks, you know, before. So 
it, it, those international numbers are telling you probably would have had a much smaller drop off. And then here in a week or two, you could have brought the movie to Peacock, still got the same relative benefit because undoubtedly people would have still went to Peacock to see it. But I think you would have maybe drawn out more moviegoers and made a profitable thing more profitable. And I am not here arguing that, you know, uh, for corporate greed, I'm just saying that, like, for the health of the movie business, you got to start sort of, you know, you got to lean into the hits here. And Peacock is not doing particularly well as a streaming service. It's only got 28 million paid subscribers. It's going to lose about $3 billion this year. There's no way Peacock survives the streaming wars. So I don't know why you're scooping buckets of water out of this sinking ship. But, you know, <laughs> like it. So I'm just sort of railing against like it doesn't make a lot of long term business sense for them to keep doing this. And you know, that's my take on it. Other people might feel differently. Yeah, I was curious what you thought about the Peacock of it all, because like, I, I wonder if um, because Peacock is such a comparatively, uh, it's not one of the most successful streaming streaming services we have out there. And there aren't really that many people that subscribe to it. I mean, 28 million subscribers, it's like nothing compared to Netflix, which has like over 200 million, right? So, right. Um, so I was just curious, like what you thought about, you know, if Peacock is really a major factor here because of the small number of overall subscribers it has in the U.S. I mean, it's a factor in so much as like the people. Look, here's the thing. NBC Universal, which, you know, owns Universal Pictures, whatever, but they didn't have to enter the streaming race. They were like, well, this is what everybody's doing. We're going to do it, too. Sony didn't, and Sony seems to be benefiting greatly from being more of an arms dealer. You know, like I think NBC Universal probably would have benefited by not launching Peacock in the first place, but they're there now and they've invested billions into this thing. And I think that it might be at a point now where they're sort of pot committed, where they're like, we have to try to make this work. Um, you can't just pull the plug yet. So I think it, it, you know, that's where they're looking at like, all right, what can we do to, to get people here? And I think that some of these surefire hits that are going to make their movie and they're going to make enough money in theaters, even if we do this are sort of a plate, you know, so I think that's part of the math. But what I'm sort of saying is that like, I don't really think it's going to hurt this, hurt the streaming success after the fact, if you keep it in theaters exclusively, mm -hmm. you know, we've seen that where like movies that are bigger hits in theaters do better on streaming. Like the Batman was HBO Max's biggest streaming debut at the time of its release. And it was a huge exclusive theatrical release. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure that you're moving the needle enough with paid subscribers based on these movies to justify losing whatever you're going to lose in ticket sales. One man's opinion, but that's what I yeah. think. Well, let's roll in some uh, some corporate news from last week, which was that um, Comcast, the parent company of NBC Universal, has decided to sell their remaining share in Hulu to Disney. So Disney is now going to be the outright owner of Hulu. I believe the deal is supposed to take place like early next year. Disney's paying something along the lines of $8 billion for the the yep. right to own yeah. all of Hulu. So with Comcast getting out of the Hulu um, part of this, do you think that that is some sort of signal that they're going to backtrack a little bit from streaming altogether and maybe try to, to replicate more of what Sony is doing in terms of being that arms dealer, like you're talking about just developing and like distributing stuff and not necessarily putting a bunch of assets into the streaming game or do you think that they're just going to take the money that they were uh i guess that they that they 
are getting from Disney for this deal and are, they're going to invest it into Peacock and like double down on trying to turn that into a big deal, even though all signs point to, you know, more um, uh, corporate uh, mergers and things like that in the future. And like, you know, people have been speculating for years that like not all these streaming services are going to last very long. You know, that there's there's sort of a ticking clock here and how much are customers going to spend and the prices keep going up. So like, do you think that they're going to actually continue to invest in Peacock in a, in a significant way or, or does that Disney... Uh, Comcast Hulu deal not have any bearing on this conversation at all. Well, it definitely has bearing on the conversation, but I think it's important to point out that when Disney bought Fox, they essentially already owned close to two thirds of Hulu. So Comcast was in a bad situation with that because they were like a minority stakeholder. They were never going to be able to override Disney on any decision making there. So what happened is they cooked up a deal a few years ago uh, when streaming was kind of at its peak where they set a floor value for, for, for Hulu. And basically that meant that like that one third share of Hulu would be worth at least $9 billion. Now what's going on right now is there's a bunch of, you know, like Comcast believes Hulu's worth a lot more. What do you go figure? They want more money for it. But like, so they're they're trying to sort that out right now. But I think the big thing is that like Comcast was always going to have to get out of Hulu unless they wanted to try to buy the whole thing from Disney, which would have been much more expensive. Mm -hmm. Um, What I think this might do is it might give them, say, about $9 billion in cash to go spend on something else. Um, I don't think... I don't think that the resources NBC Universal currently has are enough to, to, to make them a legitimate player in the streaming game in the long term. I think if they went out and made an acquisition, let's say Paramount, or, you know, there's been... We've talked a little bit about Warner Brothers Discovery possibly being up for sale again at some point. Like, you know, if you took merge some combination of those two things together, you might have a player that's big enough to compete. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and I think that would, that would maybe move the needle enough. And that $9 billion influx of cash maybe is enough to, you know, help make a purchase that big. Now that's sort of getting way away from the point, but that's more what I think if you're going to look at them committing to streaming, they're going to have to do something like that rather than just continue to invest in Peacock as it exists. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I like it. And and I like that prediction and we'll see, you know, how things play out. You're talking about moving the needle. One movie that finally moved the needle three decades after it was originally released is The Nightmare Before Christmas. And we talked about this in some previous episodes, but this movie has just passed a pretty significant box office milestone. Tell me about that. Yeah. So again, uh, Disney two weekends ago re-released The Nightmare Before Christmas uh, for its 30th anniversary. And um, it's been doing quite well. Uh, it's made almost $10 million in re-release. And as a result, 30 years later, the movie has crossed the $100 million mark at the box office. It has now made $101 million worldwide. Um, and much of, and more than half of that has come from re-releases over the years. The movie only made $50 million in its original release. It was kind of like a modest hit because that was at a time when, you know, home video and stuff was a bigger driver, you know, so whatever. But it has really found its audience over the years. And I think it's not just 90s kids sort of holding on to it. It's the younger generations discovering it as well. And, you know, that has shown every time this movie has been re-released, it's made money. And I just think it's remarkable that like so consistently these re-releases have made money to the point where now it, it managed to cross this huge milestone all these years later. And it's just, mm-hmm. it's kind of amazing. And and I said this a couple weeks ago, but there's no way the bean counters at Disney didn't look at that and go, we didn't even advertise this. How did it make $10 million? And they're going to be like, sequel? 
you know, <laughs> I'm wondering if now is the time where they're going to start really trying to make that happen. But that's speculative yeah. on my part. But at a time when everyone's sort of trying to figure out where the sure bets are, I, I got to imagine that's about as sure a bet as you're ever going to have. So yeah, we'll yep. see. But it's it, for now, it's just a cool, very cool thing that happened and a, a very odd journey and not something you really see. So gotcha. Okay. So uh, before we take a break, tell me about how Priscilla did at the box office this past weekend. Yeah, so it was kind of a quiet weekend. Part of the reason Freddy's was able to maintain its dominance with a, you know, such a big drop off is that it was a mild weekend for new releases. Priscilla was the biggest new release in an A24 biopic about Priscilla Presley, where they can't use any of Elvis's music in the movie. You know, it's a bit tough. So uh, expanded into almost 1400 theaters and made five million dollars. You know, pretty good Uh, that it's it's not as flashy as Elvis was last year, but it certainly has the opportunity to build off of that success a little bit and, and some good award season buzz. So, um, you know, that's a pretty decent start in my eyes. We'll see how it goes from here. But I think if this can get like into the award season conversation a bit, you know, it can kind of roll that $5 million into a nice hold week to week and we'll see. Okay. Decent start. All right, let's take a break and then we'll be right back. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc all right ryan before we get into uh looking ahead at the week at at this week in uh, box office numbers i wanted to mention the killers of the flower moon conversation that was going on and uh you seem to have some reaction to that there was a lot of conversation on twitter uh this past weekend about like oh, this movie only made X number of dollars. There's no way it's going to come close to making its budget back, making it the, you know, being like a uh, a profitable investment for Apple. And there was a lot of sort of hand-wringing about that. Uh, and it seems like you had a reaction to that. I did. Um, look, I, I, I've been hard on movies that are expensive. Like, uh, let me be clear. I'm not trying to be contradictory here. I rail against the likes of Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny that's for some reason have a $300 million budget. It doesn't make sense. I will still say, for the record, I'm not quite sure why this movie had to cost $200 million. That having been said, it is Apple making it, and we are seeing a new emerging distribution model of these big streaming services that are tech companies investing in big movies, releasing them theatrically, and then ultimately using that as a streaming play. So the old metrics of success at the box office don't necessarily apply. It's a little mysterious as to what constitutes success, but you can't apply the old metrics to these movies. Mm-hmm. That having been said, Killers of the Flower Moon made $7 million in its third weekend, and it only dropped 25%. Yes, it had a pretty big drop last weekend, but the fact that it's holding now is good news. 
It has now made $119 million worldwide, including $52.3 million domestically. Now, there was some framing over the weekend. Uh, some pundits, some people, there was, no, one, no one person is guilty here, but everyone's sort of looking like it's nowhere near the $200 million budget. Yes, we all know that. Like context is very necessary in this particular conversation. This is not a situation like Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny or uh, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning, where it was made by a traditional studio for a traditional reason to make money at the box office. Yes, mm. Apple wants to see some of that money returned, but they're not expecting this thing to make $400 million worldwide and be purely profitable through ticket sales. That's not why they made it. So, you know, there's nuance here. It's complicated in terms of its success. We've talked a bit about that. Mm -hmm. But people that are framing this already as like a failure, that's not really fair. Um, so, you know, I think it's worth anyone that's looking at how this movie's doing. I don't have a number for you to tell you what is or isn't success. But, you know, it's not an outright failure right now. And the only people that know whether or not it will be are the people at Apple that decided to greenlight this thing. So... Worth yeah. sort of understanding the nuances of that conversation moving forward. Uh, okay, so let's talk a little bit about what's coming out this weekend. And the big release is The Marvels. And this is the first big Marvel movie in what feels like quite some time. Um, and man, you know, it's a this is a complicated conversation to have, Ryan, because uh, obviously Captain Marvel, that movie made over a billion dollars worldwide. Um, I would say it doesn't have the best reputation Uh just as like, you know, in terms of like, um, as whatever you can apply in terms of like objective quality uh, across the, the MCU, I, I would say if you were to poll, um, you know, let's say a thousand Marvel Cinematic Universe fans and ask them to rank all of the movies that they've seen in the MCU, I would guess that Captain Marvel is not, you know, in, in the top tier uh, in, in terms of the average of response. Um, and then there's also the entire component of how that movie was like review bombed and there's like misogynist trolls and like people just like being reactionary and upset about the fact that Marvel was making a movie that starred a woman. Um, so there's like all of this stuff sort of swirling in the air and then add introduced, you know, introduced to that mix the fact that Marvel has not been performing as well recently and has been on the downturn. And, you know, we've talked a lot about the issues that Marvel Studios has had on the podcast recently. So we don't need to rehash all of that. So now the Marvels is coming out in this environment. And I'm curious how you think that movie stands uh, when it comes to how it might perform at the box office this weekend. Yeah, I wrote a piece about this and I wrote it with like a pretty negative headline i suppose like and I, and I was a little worried about as you mentioned like there was a lot of negativity around that first movie for the wrong reasons and i don't want to incite the wrong people here but the realities of the situation are what they are one the screen actors guild strike is still going on brie larson other stars of the movie cannot promote it that certainly does not help um number two yes marvel has been having its issues the other thing captain marvel which made uh 1.13 billion dollars worldwide and way overperformed anyone's best expectations was at the peak of MCU fever between Infinity War and like literally 6 weeks before Endgame. Everyone felt everything was essential. That was never going to be the case here. Mm -hmm. Um I think the Marvels it, it doesn't help that it's not named Captain Marvel 2. Your average person may not even understand what this is as a result of that title and I kind of thought that when it was first announced. All of this to say 
it, you know, I, reviews haven't come out yet. There's certain things we don't know, but um, the numbers we have right now are not awesome. Original tracking from the Hollywood Reporter and uh, had it anywhere between 72 and 90 million opening weekend. From what I've heard more recently since I wrote this, uh, uh, pre-sales have been like stagnant. Um, like, and, and it's, and that $90 million is pretty much completely out of reach now. Mm. Uh, the folks at box office pro were much less optimistic and they had it at around 45 to 62 million opening weekend. Um, uh, you know, I, I think 45 might be on the low end, but when you talk, this movie had a $250 million budget compared to the first film, which I think had 160, $170 million budget. So this is much more expensive and it is now tracking for a much lower debut. Um, just for uh, reference, the first movie opened to 153 million domestically, and again, that was much more than anyone anticipated. Mm -hmm. um, so you can't really judge the sequel against that 1.1 billion dollar take. But as I sort of postulated in my article, I would say anything less than 600 million dollars worldwide for a movie that cost 250 million to make would probably be viewed as a disappointment. And if you debut in the $45 million range, you pretty much have no shot at making that. So, you know, I, look, I'm just, I, who knows what's going to happen, but, uh, it doesn't seem great right now. And it sort of seems like at very best, it's going to make a lot less than the original. And there's still going to be people that view it as a disappointment relative to that. And that's kind of a best case scenario right now. Worst case scenario, we have like an Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania situation. And, you know, I, so I don't know. It, it, it's, uh, I don't mean to sound like the, to like ring the alarm bell here, but this isn't looking great. Yeah. I mean, even if you were ringing the alarm bell, Ryan, like that, the alarm bell has been ringing for a while at Marvel. And so I, I don't think this is particularly surprising to them. Um, I don't really want to comment much more beyond that because I feel like we haven't seen the movie. So we don't, you know, it's, it's all speculation in terms of, uh, we can't really say anything about the quality or anything yeah. like that. So I'm sure can we'll I talk about you, it next. Can I ask yeah, you a question yeah. though, Ben, just cause I don't mm -hmm. know if this is just me. I have felt like from what you usually see for advertising for a Marvel movie, I feel like the, 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 the advertising for this has been a little more slim. Um, yeah, I think, um, I ha honestly have not been thrilled with the trailers that I've seen. I want to say there've been two trailers, um, yes. for this movie and I've not been honestly a fan of either of them, even though I really liked Ms. Marvel a lot, the show. Um, I did too. And so, but I did see, I want to say it was like a TV spot or like some sort of clip or something that was going around not too long ago that looked a lot more buoyant and fun and like actually had a, seemed to actually have a personality. And I was like, oh, if that's what this movie is, then I'm going to like it a lot more than whatever the trailers were selling me. You know, like sometimes um, things can just be marketed in such a way where it sort of like sands off all of the personality of the actual people making the thing um, in order to fit in and check off whatever boxes they need about people, yeah. you know, intoning about the end of the world and whatever. Like I, I'm not really super interested in that stuff. We've been doing that for however many decades at this point, it seems like. So I, I want, you know, uh, for me, what matters and what sets these movies apart are the details. And you don't really get a lot of great details in broad trailers just by definition. They're, they're supposed to try to, you know, pull as many people in as possible. Yeah, you're um, selling it to the masses. 
Yeah. So I, I did see this clip or, or um, you know, TV spot or whatever it was and, and appreciated the difference in tone that that showed. And so I'm, I'm not ready to write this movie off as like a creative failure yet. I, I think, uh, as you mentioned, all of these signs right now are pointing it are pointing to it being potentially a financial failure. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I, I should be clear. I'm only speaking about business prospects here. I'm not yeah, saying yeah, yeah. anything about the only thing I will say is it seems like Marvel's even having my view on it is that they're even having a tough time figuring out how to sell this because I've seen like TV spots where they're really trying to connect it to like Endgame really hard. Like they're putting Thanos in the TV spots. Yeah, it's like, I saw that. I'm like, I don't like that almost seems like I don't again. I look, I don't know for sure what the movie is really because, the you know, the trailers haven't made it super clear but it's like is i don't know like is that that's almost seems like borderline misleading to me you know where it's like so that i don't know that to me almost i, I again i'm not trying to be super negative here but that feels like you're reaching you know like i get yeah. the need to want to connect to your biggest hit but you know so i don't know i just wanted to make sure that that it wasn't just me that felt that, but like, uh, yeah. So no, I'm- yeah, yeah. And I'm curious if um, AMC is going to make this the uh, the first edition of this thing that they're rolling out called Screen Unseen, which happening, which is happening tonight. Uh, if you're listening to this on uh, Monday, as this podcast is being released, um, Regal has been doing a mystery movie thing for a while now, where they charge five dollars and show like one night only a mystery movie and like you pay five bucks and you show up and you don't know what the movie is until it actually begins playing in the theaters. They give you a little bit of a hint uh, in terms of the rating and sometimes they'll give you the runtime, but sometimes that runtime is not accurate. So you can kind of like do whatever sleuthing you want, but like maybe you're, maybe they're leading you down the wrong uh, path. But now AMC is looking to get into the same kind of thing. Um, And so we know that there's uh, a screen unseen that's happening at, at 7 p.m. tonight, and it's a PG-13 rate, uh, rated movie. I'm going to it. Um, I'm just curious to see what this is like. And I'm I'm wondering if because of that, the tracking numbers that you mentioned, and because of Marvel's reputation right now, if uh, Marvel and, and uh, Disney may have struck a deal with AMC, you know, a few years ago, they never in their wildest dreams would have released a Marvel movie um, you know, in advance or whatever, because they would be terrified of spoilers getting out and all of that. And the, com- the cultural conversation was completely different back then. And now I'm wondering if they're desperate enough to actually put the Marvels out there just to potentially juice some excitement out of audiences for seeing this a little bit early. And like, maybe they can ride the high of that potentially good reaction into this weekend and sort of like roll that in. So uh, I was curious if you had any thoughts about whether or not you think that Marvel would actually do something like that. Um, I'm not super sure. I think if it's a movie they felt confident in, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it, it that's tricky because like I I I'm I'm trying not to judge anything that I haven't seen, but my sense is, and I could be very wrong, but my sense is they don't have a lot of confidence in this movie. You know, so so again, I'm trying to, I really don't want to like, because I, I am very careful about like not putting any unneeded negativity into the world. But um, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me either way, I guess, like, because I think at this point you're either like, OK, fine, we release it. 
uh, we're hoping the crowd reaction will be a little better because people seeing like a movie early, it's exciting. So you sort of generate some, some positivity that way before the official reviews drop. If they're expecting those reviews to be a little unkind. Mm -hmm. Um, we've also had some sort of like indicators that Marvel's internal internal barometer isn't great right now. Like they thought Quantumania was going to be a home run and they were really caught off guard by that. So I don't, you know, it's like hard to know right now. Like it's really, it's a really strange time. And I think this movie sort of unfortunately got caught in the middle of all of it. And, and, um, yeah, we'll see. I'm, I'm curious to know what the movie is and I'll be curious to talk to you whether it's this or something else. Yeah, yeah, I'll definitely report back um, probably later this week about that. Uh, in the meantime, I guess we're, before we wrap things up today, Brian, let's look ahead to other movies that might be coming out. Um, I think It's a Wonderful Knife comes out in theaters. This is the the uh, holiday themed uh, horror movie. Um, do you have any sense of like how this movie might perform or like whether or not I, I believe it's relatively low budget? Um, but do you have any any? Uh... I, I tell you what, this is one of those ones where it's like. I don't know. Like I did, it could make a hundred thousand dollars. It could surprise and make like a few million dollars. I genuinely don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, my feeling is that it was made for very little money and that it will probably be more of like a streaming VOD play. But I, um, I, you know, it seems like a fun premise to me and I'm sort of excited to personally see it, but yeah, I mean, I don't, it's not obviously not going to make like, you know, $20 million opening weekend or anything, but it could be like a little bit of a sleeper hit perhaps at the top end. We'll see. Um, but but yeah, I think you got to manage your expectations around that one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the last one that I wanted to mention is, I believe, The Holdovers, the um, Alexander Payne movie starring Paul Giamatti, is uh, expanding, or I believe it's it's out right now in limited release. I believe it's going to be out in wide release later this month, but I, I think it's continuing to roll out in its sort of limited release platform or whatever. Um, yeah, I was curious if like what you think about this movie, uh, especially heading into like the Thanksgiving season. And like, this seems, you know, it seems like the sort of um, classic example of like, here's the movie that you go see with your family around Thanksgiving. Um, it does. And I, I actually got to see it at Austin Film Fest last week for us. And I, and I, I, I like Alexander Payne when I like Alexander Payne, the director, but when I don't, ugh. but this movie is very <laughs> charming and wonderful. And him reuniting with Paul Giamatti 20 years later has is everything you would hope it would be. Um, just for reference, it was in 64 theaters this past weekend and made $600,000. And so it had like a nine, like over a $9,000 per screen average, which is really good. Um, so, you know, I, I, I'm, can that scale up? I hope so. Uh, this feels like one of those movies that, like you said, could definitely like over the holiday season, like it's maybe not going to make a ton of money every week, but, but it, it could hold well. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, it, I'm hopeful for that because it's a movie that deserves an audience for sure. And it feels like the kind of movie that your mom goes to see and is like, oh, my God, you know, what movie was really great was that, you know, and then like mm-hmm. it, it, it feels like the type of movie that could generate like actual word of mouth from like meaningful moviegoers and not just like the L.A. or New York crowd, um, yeah. which, again, there's nothing against that. But I'm saying there there are certain movies that carry well you know, beyond the big cities. And I think this movie strikes me as the type that could do that in a best case scenario. Cool. All right. Well, yeah, we'll look forward to seeing how all of these movies perform and, uh, and whether or not they're really good. I'm, I'm excited that you enjoyed uh, seeing that movie, Ryan. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Um, I, I'm kind of like you. I feel like Alexander Payne is very hit or miss for me um, as a director, maybe like one of the most hit or miss <laughs> like active directors working right now, which is really, I hadn't really thought about that, but um, thinking back over his filmography, it's like, I'm either like very, very on board with 
with what he's doing are just like completely rejected from, you know, top to bottom. So, um, yeah, curious, uh, curious filmography there for Alexander Payne. Anyway, um, that's going to do it for today's show. You can find more about all of the stories that we mentioned on the show at SlashFilm.com and linked inside the show notes for this episode. SlashFilm Daily, yay, is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please subscribe to our newsletter. There's a link for that in the show notes as well. Send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics to us at bpearson at slashfilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you tomorrow. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.